You know, we mentioned, uh, before I get started, we mentioned this morning about uh, help for Sue Streck and uh, Melissa Hamilton, the sign-up table. Please check that out. And uh, um, also, uh, starting up soon is Floyd's, when, on Wednesday, Floyd starts treatment for his cancer. So um, keep uh, Floyd and Lynn in your prayers also. And... Uh, Wow, it it is. It's um, you kind of wonder is uh, what's going on, and yet we know we know that God is working in His way, in His wonderful way, and we need to pray for these folks that are going through these afflictions and difficulties, and pray for them and encourage their hearts. And it it's always uh, helpful remembering uh, God hasn't messed up. God hasn't uh, skipped a beat. God hasn't uh, um, brought this on, you know, purposely. He's allowed it. And that's what we are, we're living in this kind of a life. Oh, for there to be more of a, you know, paradise on earth, but there's a lot of pain on earth. Okay? A part of our paradise on earth is what we can do right now. We can worship. We can be in the Word. We can encourage one another. And that's a good thing. And so, um, if you're feeling discouraged about things in life, we want to encourage you and remind ourselves, myself also, we need the, the injection of God's Word in our lives so that the Spirit who indwells the believer, that there would be fruit that the Spirit of God would bring forth in your life and mine. Showing that we're continuing to praise God, even in the dark times. Okay? All right. Well, today we have a study in contrasts. So, we're going to look at the last half of James chapter 3. And it's um, quite a challenge. And This study in contrast, in, in a general kind of way, this is what life boils down to. We could boil life down to, our existence down to either, here's either worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom or godly wisdom. And it's James, as we have seen already, James continuing on with these, uh, in a sense, these tests these checkup points. And so now, having just finished about the tongue and the problems that happen with our tongues, really our hearts, now he shifts into the issue of in talking and speaking comes forth, should come forth, what? Wisdom. In the believer's life. And so this is the challenge. We know that man's wisdom worldly wisdom versus God's wisdom. There, there are great differences here, and that's what we're trying to understand. Man's wisdom comes from reason. Just like we said earlier from Proverbs chapter 3. Okay? Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. There's, there's man's wisdom right there. Your own understanding. Your own natural tendencies. But God's wisdom comes from revelation. God's wisdom is right here. 
I don't know if some of you remember, I just thought of this now. It's an old song. Got myself some wisdom from a leatherback book. Got myself a savior when I took a second look, right? I know it might be not theologically sound, <laughs> but certainly this is the book of wisdom right here. Okay? And so God, through revelation, gives you wisdom. Man's wisdom will come to nothing eventually. It will come to nothing. It won't last. But God's wisdom will endure forever. Man's wisdom is foolishness to God. God's wisdom is foolishness to man. And here's a helpful description of the two in contrast. I'm sorry, not the, the two uh, worldly wisdom and God's wisdom, but when James starts this passage in verse 13, look at it. He just starts with a question. Who among you is wise and understanding? So I ask you a question. Who's going to answer that in, a, in the affirmative in, in this room? Who is wise and understanding among you? Thank you. Michael gets the A. Way to go, Michael. He's tracking along. And that's what we need to understand. It's Christ. He's the wise and understanding man. Okay? Now, what we're going to see today, you know, we, we want to grow in wisdom. But that's something that is given to us. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. James chapter 1 verse 5. Who gives to all men generously, liberally, without reproach. But let him ask without any, what? Without any doubting. Okay? So we ask God for wisdom. So back to this question in verse 13, where James says, Who among you is wise and understanding, or endowed with knowledge, is another way that some of the versions put it. And so here, Adrian Rogers, who was a pastor back in Tennessee, he passed away a number of years ago, but Adrian Rogers said this, knowledge is needed to pass the test in school. Wisdom is needed to pass the test in life. Knowledge is learned. Wisdom is given. Knowledge comes from looking around. Wisdom comes by looking up. Knowledge comes by study. Wisdom comes by spending time with God. And we need to add on to that, not just by studying, but by acting upon the Word of God. That's what wisdom is about. So true wisdom comes from God because God is all wise. You ever think about that? God doesn't have to open up the book and study anymore. God doesn't have to stop and think through something. Gee, what do I do? Isn't it wonderful? God is perfectly wise. And we need to let that sink in because in His counsel from the Word and by the Holy Spirit, He wants to help you and I grow in wisdom. It's beautiful. And so in the Bible, the book of wisdom, God gives us the book of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is for really for fathers. Fathers, teach your children well in the wisdom of the Lord. 
and then he, he talks a lot about in Proverbs um, about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So, um, so point number one in your outline, what we want to do is just start in on this and understand here's this contrast that he puts forth. The contrast of worldly wisdom versus God's wisdom. Point number one is wisdom's true divine design. Now, what we need to understand is, in, in essence, there's really no worldly wisdom. Because there's only God's true wisdom. And so here's this understanding, this um, approach to life that man tries to take without God. And who is James writing to? Other Christians. He's not writing to pagans. He's writing to Christians. And so thus, he's con- his concern, I would understand, is that, hey, Christians, don't get caught up in the wisdom of the world. The perspective of the world. And he's got, um, in verse 13, with this question, he poses to us so that we might think about it. So, who is wise and understanding among you? Here he gives a question that serves as a letter A, an ongoing exam and evaluation of life, of your life. It's supposed to be something that's ongoing, not something that you checked off back when you got saved. Say, oh, I got wisdom now. No, it's an ongoing exam and evaluation. That's the idea behind the question. You know, what person among you will raise your hand and say, I've got wisdom and understand. I am. I am. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, I am. I am. Who's going to do that? You know, we, we know this is a matter of growth. And so letter B, it's not only to provide an ongoing exam and evaluation for us, but it's an ongoing pursuit and practice in life. That you and I grow in wisdom. And that's what he says in the, in the last half of verse 13. Look at the last half of verse 13. What does he say? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So he's tracking along with what he's already said about your faith. Your faith better have works to it. It's faith alone in Christ alone, but a saving faith is a working faith. Not just a head knowledge faith. So, this is it. An ongoing, let's, let's pursue this wisdom of God and let's practice this by showing it in our conduct, by good behavior, in the meekness of wisdom. Now, think with me on, on this, that an illustration that um, we always mention like at Christmas time. It's about the Magi, right? The Magi, we call them what? Wise men. Okay? And um, yes, they were. They understood about lots of things in the, in the universe and, uh, you know, about here's the coming Messiah. So they traveled to the Holy Land. They traveled and they came seeking, who is, where's the king? He's been born. Where is the king? So all, all we're saying here, here's the illustration. They were wise men and they took steps with their wisdom to go see the king. They, 
they pursued it. They pursued him. Okay. They demonstrated genuine pursuit of wisdom. And as we also say, wise men still seek him. Wise people still seek him. Okay. So, and it, then it says, do this in a, in meekness of wisdom. That's what? Humility. That's the attitude of gentleness that prevails in your conduct. And we know meekness is not weakness as the Romans had concluded. The Roman civilization was not built on humility and meekness. Okay? Oh, and by the way, it seems like the Western civilization is likewise, wouldn't you say? Western civilization? It's not built on the idea of of showing meekness and gentleness like Jesus. So... That's what we understand again. Here's the world's wisdom. Point number two. James then points out in verse 14 through 16, here's what uh, I've labeled as the trendy defrauder. Wisdom's trendy defrauder. All it's saying is, here now is false wisdom. As with all that God has done, we know there are counterfeits to his word and his work. There are counterfeits that Satan has developed, counterfeits to his word and his work. And so wisdom is no exception. This idea of the worldly wisdom, if you want to call it that, you know, that's what most of the world operates with. Worldly wisdom. Without God in the picture. Let's not bother with God. Let's not bother with someone that we're accountable to. Let's not uh, go with having to do what somebody else tells us to do. We want to do our own thing. That's worldly wisdom at, at its core. And he wants us to walk in this wisdom. But here's what the, the false wisdom under point number two is about. Here's its true nature. Letter A, an ungodly outlook. It has an ungodly perspective or outlook on life. What does the verse 14 tell us? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Okay? And this is what I understand is here's a person's, not just their attitude, but what they're running on in life. What they're going on in life is their perspective, their outlook. And it results with Hey, if I don't get my way, I might just, you know, I'm not going to tell you, but I can get jealous. And that jealousy just breeds what? Bitterness. Bitter jealousy. It's all driven by my selfish ambition. I got to make it in life somehow, right? I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to get what I want. Now, we don't go around talking like that. But the attitude is there underneath the surface. And Christian, we're called to stay away from this kind of wisdom. This is not the kind of wisdom that we want to live by. Right? Philippians 2, verse 3. Jot it down. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through, what? Selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, Christian, let each of you esteem others better than himself. Selfish ambition. It's the behavior of someone seeking to become the leader, 
mainly out of selfish reasons, whether that's in the home, whether that's at the job, whether that's in the country. Let's not go to that rabbit trail quite yet. (laughs) All right. So it's an ungodly outlook. And, you know, we've got a great illustration in the Old Testament from King Saul about this, don't we? You think about the life of King Saul. He illustrates this kind of an outlook. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. In his many attempts to kill David, right? You think about that. By his choice to act as high priest, he went ahead and slaughtered animals as a priest. He wasn't supposed to do that. His blatant disobedience by sparing King Agag. Remember? And Samuel had to come, the prophet had to come and say, why is he still alive? And Samuel did the execution of this pagan king. That was not Samuel's little uh, get revenge thing. That was Samuel following what the Lord said to do. So... King Saul's uh, life and his behavior illustrates this very outlook. So, I want to mention here at this point the importance of one's world view. Now, we, we say, well, we're just talking about selfish, you know, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. But do you understand how this mushrooms? How this grows? How this spreads? My friend, we're living in a world that's um, dominating the scene with a worldview perspective. It's not about God's concerns and pleasing God, not at all. The more we go on in this life, the more we're going to be the true minority. We're already, you know, already we're there. But more and more and more, it's just going to, keep snowballing more and more with this perspective that people have. Our leaders have it. And if we're not careful, you and I can have this kind of ambition, selfish ambition sneaks out. We don't want that. It's also clear that letter B, there's ungodly origins to this very thing. Ungodly origins. Verse 15 This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but here it is, is earthly, natural, and demonic. Earthly, connected to the world system. It's materialistic. It's pleasure-driven. It's power-hungry. That's earthly wisdom. And the next one, unspiritual. It's fleshly. It's sensual. It's the old flesh, the old man taking over and the controls of your life. And it's demonic. It's the absolute contrast to heavenly wisdom. Worldly wisdom has its origins with the devil. We say, well, you mean all worldly wisdom then is of no value? I didn't say that. I'm saying worldly wisdom has its beginnings you know, from Satan. And he wants you and he wants me to fall back into that kind of living and that kind of understanding. That's what his desire would be. His will would be to have you and me, you know, operate in that kind of a wisdom. Earthly 
ungodly wisdom. Listen, all we're doing when we fall into this kind of a a pattern of living, all we're doing is going back to what we were saved from. You understand what you're saved from? Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Just a couple books back. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's past tense, Christian. Past tense. In which you formerly walked, in verse 2, according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's what we're doing by operating with this kind of wisdom, by this kind of outlook, by this kind of perspective. We're going back to the old life. And Christ has saved us from that. This is the pattern we need to forsake and walk away from and then come back to the Word and say, God, fill me with Your Word. Show me. Lighten up my eyes and my heart so I might see the truth and the wisdom in Your Word to walk therein. And it's not just something that you um, take a little test and check off all the right things and you got wisdom. That's not wisdom. So, it's important that we understand here's the ungodly outlook, the ungodly origins, and then let us see the ungodly outburst or the, here's the outgrowth of it. What is it? It's disorder and every vile practice. Disorder, confusion, unruliness, turmoil. I can't help but think there's a, there's a picture of our country right now. There's a picture of our country. But you know what? What's more important, your heart or our country? (laughs) Well, both are important. That's a challenging question to answer. But I tell you what, God's more concerned about your heart and what's going on and how you decide things and how you understand things and all that's going on in your heart. And I, you know, again, we can't read hearts. We don't know what's going on in in your decision-making. But it's important that we say, let's not go with this disorder. Why? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of it. And this kind of wisdom, the world's wisdom, will promote that. Disorder. Every vile practice. Now, that sounds really, whoa, that's pretty heavy. Every vile practice? Well, it's the idea of worthlessness. Useless. Worldly wisdom results in a life that will be more and more given over to empty, worthless, useless pursuits. We've got some, you know, things that we can do in life that are, we say, oh, that's really fun, it's good. But if we are dominating, you know, if we get dominated by some of these pursuits, then it becomes like, is that really all that our life is about? What's the Christian's life supposed to be about? You know, all too often in our day and age, it seems like the Christian is the one that just got has the little extra patch, like the Boy Scouts. You know, they get a patch that they're they're spiritual, and then they got other things that we do too that are you know they're just as important. It's like we balance it out. 
No, we're not supposed to balance it out like that. That's not the calling of the Christian. The Christian is called out of darkness. Out of darkness. Out of this kind of wisdom. Okay? So, worldly wisdom, we got to be careful. Is it growing in our own hearts, in our own lives? Is it growing in our family? Are, is, in our family, is it being promoted somehow in a, in a subtle way? What about our church? We got to keep a, a, a close watch on things in our church. Why? Well, it's really easy to drift off course. It's easy to drift off course as an individual or as a family or as a church. And as a church, we want to stay on target with right there. Here's the cross and here's the word of God. The message of the cross. That's God's wisdom. So, from these opening verses, we see that wisdom from below does really not seek after God's will. It doesn't really want to glorify God or bring an honor. It really wants to move God out and glorify our own agendas. It exhibits disorder in every vile practice. Christian, beware. Are you operating on worldly wisdom? And it's not going to you know, promote a big... Uh, commercial sign in your mind that, oh, there's worldly wisdom. It'll start in little ways. Be on the lookout for it. Point number three. Wisdom's transforming distinctives. And this is fundamentally different. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So the, we start with letter A, the foundation. The foundation is purity. we got to start there. Because purity will affect everything else in your life. Purity. It's unmixed with evil. It's free from the contamination of sin. You say, oh, well, you don't understand human nature. Because no, not a one of us is pure. Wait a minute. In Christ, you are labeled in Ephesians chapter 1 as holy and what? Holy and blameless. That's what you're called by God because you're in Christ. That's Christ's righteousness. God sees you as perfectly righteous. So it's now, where's the, how come we got such a difference? If God calls me perfectly righteous in Christ, what's the matter with how I feel? Well, how you feel is not the way to say it. It's how you're walking in faith according to the Word of God. And that faith ought to mean practice. Practice of righteous deeds. There's the connection. Here's our position in Christ. You're holy and blameless. You're righteous because of Christ. And here's your practice. Where's your practice at, believer? Is your practice down in the gutter? Confess that. Move along. Grow in faith. Grow by what the Word tells you to do. Not to earn, but to respond in love to what God's done. So, 
this is the issue of purity. We are hit by the importance of this when something like, for instance, our water is, is contaminated. Or the air that we breathe is contaminated. Or our food is contaminated. What happens? We have an alert. Don't drink that water. Don't, don't, don't eat that kind of food. Why? Why not? Hey, it's just a little food. It's just got a little bad stuff in it. What's the big deal? Are you going to do that? Of course not. Here's the connection about your life and my life. Are we walking in purity? Are we saying, God, please help me? I can't determine I'm going to, you know, avoid whatever. No, I'm going to. There's certainly times where we stumble and fall. We get tempted and all that. But I want to get back up, confess my sin, and keep walking in a way of purity. It starts with purity. Then letter B, it's the fruit. Here's the fruit. Peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Okay? We're not going to detail these out in, in, a, in a lengthy way, but peaceable is just loving and promoting peace rather than division and disorder. You know, people that promote division and disorder really starts with bad attitudes and complaints. We, we don't want that. We want to promote peace. Being gentle. It's that here's the temperate and peaceable treatment of others. Right? It goes from purity to peace to being gentle. We want to just say, here's a gentleness that we want to have with each other and show others that Christ has made a difference. Reasonable. Being willing to yield, to listen, to bend a little, as opposed to being stubborn and bullheaded. We don't have any bullheaded people in here, do we? This is the, the fruit. It's fruit. You understand fruit. Okay? And it's something that Christ does in your heart when He's sitting on the throne of your life. When He's in charge of your life. This is fruit that He produces. Full of mercy and good fruits. Listen to this. Because you, Christian, have you, Christian, have you experienced amazing grace? You sing about it. Okay, so from that point, you've experienced grace. That gift proceeds forth from your life to others in a way of mercy. Mercy, you show mercy. You come up to somebody, you know, like you go up to Floyd and Lynn or to, uh, you know, Melissa or somebody else. Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm praying for you. You know what you're doing? You're showing mercy there. You know why? You're trying to, you, you wish you could relieve pain. You can't. Jesus can. But you are, you, you're trying to be an instrument in his hand. I want to help bring comfort to you. I want to encourage you. That's mercy. Are you full of mercy? Full of mercy and what? Good fruits. There's this, I guess it's just the assortment. The assortment of fruits, right? You empathize with them. You sympathize with them. It's shown in your effort to comfort and encourage them in their misery, in their pain. So what is fruit? Uh, well, we got unwavering. Without hypocrisy. Let's just think of it without hypocrisy. There's no cover up here. There's no mask. There's no wax put on. 
Okay? There's no makeup put on. You're, you're just being sincere and honest. This is the fruit that comes with wisdom from above. Fruit is simply Christ-like characteristics. The fruit of the Spirit is Jesus Christ made visible in your life. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Then letter C, we got, so letter A, the foundation, the fruit, and now letter C, it's faithful focus and function. A function. What is that function? Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So this is a combination of being a peacemaker and bringing forth a harvest of what? What does it say? A harvest of righteousness. See, that's what God's concerned about in your life and mine. When we talk purity, it's because of Christ's righteousness. So here's the, here's the tie-up to it all. And, and that's this, here's, this, um, here's wisdom's transforming distinctives, its foundation, fruit, and its focus and function. Are you a, a peacemaker? And we're not talking about what we learned back in the 60s, peace baby. We're talking about Christ's kind of peacemaking. And that involves sharing the gospel. How else does a person come to peace with God? You tell them, hey, you just get better, buddy. You just try harder. That's not having peace with God. Peace with God comes through Christ. And what did Christ do? He suffered on the cross for you. That's what we're going to remember here with communion. And so we want to share and proclaim how to have true peace with God. That's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, Matthew 5, 9, because they will be called what? Sons of God. You're identified that way. Here's the gospel. We're sharing the gospel. It's about your lack of righteousness. You're being a sinner. You need to repent of your rebellion. And here's the answer is Christ. He, He did it all. He accomplished everything. That's why we sing, He's enough. Christ is enough. I don't need to add anything to it. Christ did it all. He did it all perfectly. You can't add anything to what He accomplished. Simply a response of love. Your response of love to Him and obedience to Him. Husbands, we can say we love our wives. Just keep saying, I love you, dear. I love you. But if we're never doing what needs to be done, you know, bringing forth the, the parallel of obedience. Not that we are called to obey. I've got to obey everything my wife says. No, it, but it's that compatibility there, that understanding with what's, what's behind your love. What's involved in your love for, for Christ? Is it just a, a, a warm, tingly feeling? Or is it demonstrated with obedience? So, so point number three, this wisdom from above seeks God and his will through his word. It does want to glorify God, honor him. Okay. It exhibits a genuine peace, a gentleness, a attitude of, of mercy, a, a fruit bearing life. That's the wisdom from above. And you and I are supposed to evaluate it ourselves. Evaluate it on our own. How do I measure up here to this passage? And number four, point number four, 
To wrap it up, wisdom's total devotion is letter A to the Savior. When it comes right down to it, Jesus is our wisdom. Michael was right on target with what he said. Jesus is our wisdom. Have you come to faith in Christ? If you haven't, you're, you're banking on the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of your natural tendencies. And that's not going to make it. He wants us to remember it's all about Him. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 says, But by His doing you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. Then you can add in all sorts of verses from Proverbs about God's wisdom there. Listen, by the world's wisdom, no one will save themselves. No one will make things right with God because no one can make, right, make things right with God in their own terms, in their own understanding. They've got to go by God's wisdom. Only the gospel makes things right with God. So we want to preach the gospel. That's what letter B is. Letter B, under number four, you, the wisdom's total devotion and dependence is about the gospel. The gospel message. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached. That's the gospel. That's the foolishness of the message preached. That's what the world says about God. Oh, that's foolishness. So, we, we understand wisdom is really totally all out for the Savior and for the gospel message. And then let us see, the last one is, so that you might have a biblical worldview. Even in, if, whether you're um, retired and at home or you are uh, flying around one of uh, the Navy's jets or whatever it is you're doing, whatever your occupation is, whatever you're doing in life, it comes down to, are you seeing life through the lens of Scripture? That's God's call for us, to grab a hold of this wisdom, to ask God for it, and trust that He's going to grow you in wisdom. This is, it's designed to be the pattern of your life. Not just a, every, uh, an emergency call out, oh, I need some wisdom right now. <laughs> no, it's ongoing, perpetual, continual. Ask God for wisdom. Proverbs 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. <laughs> Pretty right to the point there. It's the principal thing. And who's the principal behind wisdom, Michael? Yes. It's Jesus. He's Jesus. Okay, we want to shift gears to our time in communion. So, right now, what we need to understand is this. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 1, 25. The foolishness of God. What's the foolishness of God? The gospel message and the Savior. That's the foolishness of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God... Christ dying on the cross, that's weakness. I mean, 
I mean, that guy really blew it. I mean, think of what some of the Roman soldiers were thinking at that moment at the foot of the cross. This guy, he really messed up. What a, what a wimp. What a knucklehead. He should have said something. I mean, all the, all the things of the world, a man's wisdom and worldview coming forth and the thinking of people around. Yes, his disciples were distraught. Um, his mother was crying. All that around the cross, at the foot of the cross right there. But some of those people were actually mocking him. There's the worldview of man's wisdom. Where do you stand? Young people, students here in, in, in my hearing. Now's the time to ask God for wisdom and grow in the things of the Word of God. Keep asking Him. It doesn't say just ask once and that's it. That's all you get. No, keep asking for wisdom and stay in the Word of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And this is what is behind it all. A suffering Savior dying on the cross for you. That's God's wisdom. We take it and we tweak it and turn it to a slant that says, you know, there's got to be a powerful emperor that shows up. You know, um, riding on the white stallion and all that, you know. He's got to be the strong and mighty Savior. Well, Jesus will come that way. But to make you and I right with God, He had to come. Here's the, the weakness of God. And so we celebrate, we remember His weakness that He died, that He shed His blood on your behalf, that you might be made, that you might be reconciled to a right relationship with God. Are you? Are you in a right relationship with God now? I don't know all of you. I can't read your hearts, but you need to be challenged in this way. If you're not, that's absolute priority number one that you come to grips with this issue that you repent of sin because if you don't here's an eternity that you're going to spend without God that's not my uh, idea my idea is I, I'd rather just push a button and have everyone happy <laughs> but then the word of God tells me otherwise it says when you um, confess and forsake your sin you'll find what? Compassion with God and with others. Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen. Well, we need to quiet our hearts. We need to come before Him in a humble way as we receive these elements. These elements are a reminder of His body given over for you. His body bore our sins in His body on the cross. And then... His blood was shed showing that He really did die. He didn't go into unconsciousness. He died. He actually died. He's dead. And He did that to reconcile you. And if, if it's just one person in here that comes to grips with this and says, Lord, I call out and I repent I call out to you in faith. I receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's worth it, isn't it? For one person to come to faith in Christ. 
If you have questions about this, you know, I'd love to talk to you afterwards.